0: Ah, lads, did I seriously get a job in Starfleet for this? I am Sean Ferrick for Trek Culture, and here are 10 Starfleet jobs you won't believe exist. Number 10, Waste Extraction. Even in the 24th century, there are still officers and non-commissioned assigned waste extraction on starships and starbases. It's generally considered to be the worst assignment, with Chief Miles O'Brien using the threat of sending officers there as encouragement to keep them on top of their tasks. Enrique Muñiz was often to be found joking about O'Brien, calling him an old mountain man, with the chief cheekily quipping that oh, one more line like that, and the man would be scrubbing the waste extraction system when they got back to the station. Conversely, Rom was very proud of working on that system when he quit his job in Quark's Bar and transferred to the engineering staff. He felt that having a working waste extraction system was one of the most important features on a functioning station. Ensign Beckett Mariner, on the other hand, found no pride whatsoever in having to clean out that particular system, especially in the episode Moist Vessel having to scrub out the holodex waste extraction system. It honestly doesn't bear thinking about what came out of those canisters. Number 9. Starship Librarian Now, to be very clear, this is not a dig at librarians in general. Frankly, there aren't enough of them out there, and they do stellar work. However, one has to wonder, what is the purpose of a librarian aboard a starship, particularly one that has earned a Starfleet commission as well? There is a scene in Star Trek Insurrection, in which Counselor Troy and Commander Riker research the Sona. They do so in the library, which makes sense, even though in all previous iterations of Star Trek, the entire Federation database could be recalled from any desktop pad or computer console. So in essence, it seems as though the film production simply wanted to add an extra room to the Enterprise E. That's not the biggest issue here. The issue is that this room comes with a librarian as well. The librarian is shown to have two things which are unusual in the 24th century. The first is that she's a lieutenant judging by the pips on her collar, which means she went through Starfleet Academy, including all of its various challenges, assignments and merits, so that she could be the librarian on board the Enterprise. That seems like something of an overqualification. The second thing is that she's wearing glasses, which are few and far between in the future. Clearly they were added so that the audience would know for sure that that she was a librarian so that she could look over the rims at Riker and Troy as they flirt like horny teenagers in her library. Number 8. Mr. Kaczynski. On the surface, Mr Kaczynski has a standard job title in Star Trek The Next Generation. He was called a propulsion expert, who, by the use of his warp theories, improved the warp output on both the USS Ajax and the USS Fearless, which granted him the permission to come aboard the Enterprise D and begin work on their warp drive. Kaczynski lands on this list because of his rather unique position in Starfleet. The rank insignia on his collar was only ever seen once, it's a white rectangle that contained a smaller black rectangle. This has no other contemporary in the fleet, so propulsion expert would seem like the perfect for this. However, it was quickly revealed that Kaczynski was not responsible for any of the warp improvements on these ships. It was his assistant, the mysterious traveller from Tau Alpha C. Therefore, what exactly was Kaczynski's role in Starfleet, and how did he advance so quickly to get such high access? Even after the traveler's role was revealed, Kaczynski was still held in high enough regard that he continued to work within the fleet. Wesley Crusher contacts him during the events of Remember Me, though he is as little help in that case as he was in Where No One Has Gone Before. Effectively, Kaczynski had has a job that he's unqualified for, can't be fired from, and this seems perfectly fine in Starfleet. Number 7. Ship's Historian. In both the original series and the next generation, ship's historians were a part of the Enterprise's crew. On Kirk's ship, one such historian was Lieutenant Marla McGivers. She was serving on the ship at the time that Khan Noonien Singh and his compatriots were located and unfrozen from their cryosleep. She proceeds to fall in love with him, owing to the fact that he's a relic of the time in which she specialises. This does not have a happy ending, as McGivers ends up on the wrong side of a Seti eel. Later, aboard the Enterprise D, Captain Picard invites Dr. Crusher to join him on the holodeck to be a part of his new program, Dixon Hill. He is less than pleased when the ship's historian Whalen walks out of the turbolift, physically buzzing with excitement as the 20th century in which the program is set is his special area of study. This too does not have much of a happy ending when Whalen is shot after the holodeck safety protocols are disabled. The real question is, why were either of them stationed on the flagships anyway? While historians are an incredibly important facet of society, making sure the past remains under study, one has to question the wisdom of assigning Starfleet officers to the role, especially when starship space and provisions are at a premium. Number six, court reporter. The court reporter was almost exactly as it sounds. On board a starship, if a statement is needed to be taken, the court reporter was ordered to attend. That means that, on a vessel filled with officers, a court reporter was seen as essential personnel, even if they didn't often get much of a mention. In fact, Star Trek VI The Undiscovered Country is the only time they've been called out on screen. That said, though crime on a starship was a very infrequent occurrence, it did make sense to have a department to deal with any issues that arose. When the bodies of Yeomans Burke and Sanno were found in a corridor on the Enterprise A, Kirk devised a scheme to lure their assassin out into the open. The court reporter was publicly summoned over the ship's intercom to attend to sickbay so they could take statements from the two men. The ruse worked perfectly with Valeris being outed as the men's killer. The only way the ruse could have blown up in the captain's face was if the assassin turned out to be the court reporter. But, in the words of Kirk himself, the risk is part of the game. Number 5. Quartermaster Ship Store The ship store was a retail space aboard Starfleet vessels where officers and non-commissioned officers could purchase or procure non-regulation items. In The Naked Now, Tasha Yar went to the ship store to find something sexy to sleep in, though when Data arrives in her quarters later in that episode, she wears the outfit without doing much sleeping. On the Constitution-class Enterprise, Charles Evans surprised Yeoman Janice Rand with a bottle of perfume when he was trying to seduce her. She replied that she was shocked, believing the ship stores wouldn't have anything like that in stock. She didn't realise that Evans had conjured the bottle himself. During the events of both a Private Little War, and Assignment Earth, Kirk sent orders to the ship store and quartermaster to prepare clothing that would match the locale they were travelling toward, as the stores were similar to a tailor shop in that respect. By the 24th century, however, this aspect seems to have been replaced by replicators. When the Enterprise E travelled back in time to 2063, Captain Picard was able to order the computer to provide the necessary clothing for the period. Number 4. Always Lovely Yeoman Gene Roddenberry was insistent that the yeoman in Star Trek, effectively the captain's assistants, should be played by women. He wrote the character Yeoman Cult into the cage, with Yeoman Rand following when the show was picked up as a series. The description that they should be played by a succession of young actresses always lovely was a rule in the Star Trek writer's director's guide Star Trek has in general attempted throughout the years to feature a gender balance though the original series slipped quite a few times in this regard on that theme we here at Trek Culture respect the importance of gender representation everyone is always welcome to apply to join the theme and we encourage that but we particularly encourage female viewers to send in showreels or CVs to, you know, to help us reach a greater balance on the channel as well Grace Lee Whitney who played Yeoman Rand described her duties as being something like a valet or his Girl Friday. Her pet name for the role was Space Geisha. Pike has a line in the cage that suggests that cult is replacing his previous yeoman, but he's not used to seeing a woman on the bridge, with the exception number one. Presumably, his previous yeoman was male, and male yeoman began to appear in the Star Trek movies as well before the role was seemingly abandoned by the next generation. Number three, Turbolift Control. There is an entire department devoted to Turbolift Control aboard the Enterprise-D. In the entire run of the show, there was maybe... Two issues with the turbo lifts, which can mean one of two things. First, the turbo lift control department is absolutely brilliant at their jobs. Second, it is one of the most redundant roles aboard the Galaxy class vessel. There is, however, another side to this role, though not aboard the Enterprise D. When the USS Discovery was sent to the 32nd century, the programmable matter that was installed aboard the ship did wonders for the efficiency of the shipboard systems, including turning the turbo lift system into a labyrinthine maze that surely needed constant attention. Though the addition of the 23s and Star Discovery should have helped any maintenance teams on the ship, one has to wonder what went wrong in the 24th century. It was shown that these little robots were already standard issue in the 23rd century, so was there a mass Cylon-like revolt that required an entire department of Starfleet personnel to get relegated to space elevator patrol? It does remain one of the great mysteries of Star Trek. Number 2. The Lower Decks Rolls on USS Voyager One of the many issues that faced the department heads on the USS Voyager was when it was stranded in the Delta Quadrant. What were they to do with crew members who didn't particularly suit roles? No one could be transferred off the ship, as there was nowhere for them to go. Therefore, seemingly menial tasks ended up being crewed by seriously overqualified officers. One such crewman was Mortimer Harran. He was only aboard the ship as he needed one year of practical experience before he could apply to the Institute of Cosmology on Orion 1. Unluckily for him, Voyager was whisked away by the caretaker. He was belligerent and often simply didn't do the tasks assigned to him, leading Lieutenant Torres to assign him to plasma relay control. His entire set of duties involved pushing a button and shunting more or less plasma when needed. As Seven of Nine correctly spotted, this was was gross underuse of his abilities, though Torres defended her reasoning for the assignment. While the task was a necessary one, it was an unfortunate case of having a crewman stuck at the very bottom of the ship, reading and working on new theorems, occasionally pushing yes or no. Thankfully, the events of Good Shepherd got the man out and interacting with the crew again. Number 1. Solo groundskeeper of Starfleet Academy this role just seems to be mean. Boothby has been the groundskeeper at Starfleet Academy for decades, helping cadets with their various quandaries and issues, while maintaining the pristine look of the flowerbeds, trees, and various flora. He seemingly does this alone, by hand. In the 24th century, one has to wonder what exactly Boothby did to deserve this. The joy of the work aside, think of Picard's vineyards in LeBar, France. In remembrance, various automated workers are shown aiding the multiple groundskeepers with the day-to-day tasks. Two important things to note here. First, the latter, multiple groundskeepers, as the Picards clearly understood that relying on a single person would be similar to slave labour. Second, automated workers. They are shown hovering over the vines, spraying, what, presumably our pesticides. Flashback to the Academy, and the audience has shown Boothby on his hands and knees each time, pruning, shearing, and hobbling along, attempting to keep the place in order. He monitors everything, as Picard relates a story about being caught carving his initials into a tree during his youth. Almost every member of the crew of Voyager recognise the Species 8472 doppelganger of Boothby as well, with several of them having come straight out of graduation before boarding the ship. Boothby is... Perhaps the owner of the worst job in Starfleet, or Starfleet adjacent, even if it does allow him plenty of fresh air?
1: Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week.